Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Here's a little snippet by one of the authors from the anthology. My name is Lindsay Powers, and I'm thrilled to have contributed to Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. My essay is called, Let's Just Meet Here Every Day. It's about the breakup of my pandemic pod. And what I really don't have time for is more anxiety about COVID. I'm really looking forward to getting my young kids vaccinated. Elena Dillon is the author of My Body is a Big Fat Temple. Elena is the author of Mercy House, a library journal best book of 2020, which has been optioned as a television series produced by Amy Schumer, as well as The Happiest Girl in the World, a Good Morning America pick, and My Body is a Big Fat Temple, which is coming out now about a memoir of pregnancy and early parenting. Her work has appeared in publications including Lit Hub, River Teeth, Slice Magazine, The Rumpus and Bustle. She lives on the North Shore of Boston with her husband, son, and Black Lab. Oh, maybe her lab can play with Naya. Welcome, Elena. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss My Body is a Big Fat Temple. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. <laughs> it's such a joy to have you. I feel like I have just sat down and had like a long coffee session with you having read your book and learned all about the ins and outs and your dog and your baby and the whole process. I know. And you're so funny. I love your sense of humor and the way you like look at the world. Your one-liners are like fantastic. And Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I know. That's crazy. Like, you know, so many intimate things about me, <laughs> about me now. It's true. 
Well, I have a memoir coming out in July, so we can like. I, yes, we'll reciprocate. Then I'll know all about you. I wonder what it does to like making friends when two people have read each other's memoirs and then they sit down. Like, what happens then? Like, <laughs> you just open your hearts, I guess. Yeah, you, you, you know, like, I mean, you've already gone through all of the small talk, right? You just like start in the middle of a friendship. Yeah, you just yeah, you catch up. Maybe that's how everybody just needs to do it. You know, yes, we just need to exchange our memoirs. <laughs> That really saved time. Oh my gosh. Well, tell listeners a little about, you know, the timeline of this book and, and, you know, the period it covers and and why you decided to, to write about this stage of your life. Sure. Yeah. So my body is a big fat temple covers from pre-pregnancy all the way through to when my son is two years old. I decided to write it for a couple different reasons. So like the first is just that I write nonfiction just to kind of figure out how I'm feeling about something. Sometimes I can't even just wrap my head around what exactly I'm feeling and why. So like essays help me do that. It helps me put into like a a proper framework. So at first I was kind of wondering why I was now in my thirties, like having been married for several, several years and still not adamantly wanting children in the way that I thought maybe I was supposed to. So trying to figure out if that was okay, if I actually wanted children and, you know, why, what was holding me back. So that was like the first few essays. And then the next thing was when I decided that, yes, I, I did, we did want to start a family. I started looking for, for narrative stories of the beginning, this journey of motherhood so that I could try to understand what to expect and prepare myself. Also, because, you know, like the experience is different for everybody. So I wanted to kind of collect a few so that maybe there'd be something that I would ultimately recognize. But I had a hard time finding a lot of narrative stories. There was some how-to books and some like the science of pregnancy and things like that, which were all very helpful. But there wasn't just a lot of, you know, what it was like on the personal level for individuals. So um, that it occurred to me, sorry, my dog's barking. I feel like I also know, I also know Penny. I mean, I'm like, you know, how are Penny's knees? Right. It's like, no, you know, does. what's going on? So <laughs> she wants to attribute her thought and the mailman's here. Yeah. So yes, so I wanted to, I realized that because there's, it's like lacking on the bookshelf that maybe there needed to be more contributions. And it, is, it seems like a special shame because pregnancy and motherhood is such a, like a practically universal experience. And there's such a dearth of material. And then as I went through pregnancy and it, you know, hit different milestones, it occurred to me that a lot of the experience is not discussed and that there it's, it's kind of cast with a very like reverent under a reverent lens. And it does a disservice to people who are about to encounter that experience to withhold a lot of the anxiety and physical pain and the downsides, because when they come across them, then they feel like no one else has gone through it and they don't have a community to turn to. So that was like kind of the last point of of this book was to expose all of the nitty gritty to kind of, you know, like start the discussion so that I could, you know, be somebody for a reader so that they don't feel so alone when they come across the same experiences. Amazing. Well, you started talking about, as you mentioned, your ambivalence. And I really liked this one passage. Hold on. I have like 20 different places dog-eared here. Okay. You have this whole section here. Wanting a baby is supposed to be my biological imperative, but I'm beginning to think my maternal clock ran out of batteries or that the second hand snapped under the weight of hard cider and literary ambitions. Or maybe I'm like one of those rat moms from the famous study who just wasn't born with a nurturing gene, and Phil will be the parent responsible for licking our pups. I'm afraid to have children. I'm in- <laughs> and then you keep going on. And then you also say, I fear trading in my current identity for mother. 
And then you talk about how women are already at a disadvantage in the community and everything. But then you say mothers, the epitome of femaleness, are especially broken off from society. We expect them to raise their young and talk amongst themselves in kid-appropriate restaurants. We expect mothers to play their part, which means sacrificing everything else they are. They have to justify any time they are away from their family, even when they are working. No one sees a father and asks, hey, Steve, where are the kids? Because Steve is allowed to be more than one thing. He can have his job, his softball league, and his razor hot shave because he isn't just a dad. He's also an employee and an athlete. I hope it's okay. I'm reading all this. An employee and an athlete and a human who grows a beard and good for Steve. But it isn't equitable because women are defined in total by their relation to their family. When we see Mr. Steve so-and-so and we can and we can call her Mrs. Steve so-and-so sipping beer with friends, we think, who granted this woman furlough? I'm almost done here. Her pursuit of happiness is an indulgence because any energy spent on her own interests is a direct deduction from energy she might have used to benefit her family. Therefore, she should always be in service because she is mother. I mean, that's awesome. That's like, it's just such, the reason why I read the whole thing is because it's one of the most clear descriptions of sort of this disparity of moms and dads and also the expectations placed on us and sort of the underpinning for why we have mom guilt. And it's this, it is this very page of this very book that like does the trick. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. It's that moms are expected to be at their, at the service of their family. And so that when anytime they're pursuing pleasure, they need to justify it somehow. And it, it's, it's never enough that it's just, you know, to, to nourish themselves Whereas with husbands, it's like, oh my gosh, he needs some time off. You know, like this actually just happened to one of my friends whose husband went away for the weekend after she had gone for the, away for the weekend a few weekends before. And when, when she had gone away for the weekend, everyone was like, oh my gosh, who's going to help, you know, the husband who's going to, who's going to help him with the kids. And then when she, when he went away, nobody offered because, you know, she doesn't need help. She's the mother. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's this crazy disparity. And we certainly saw it, you know, during the pandemic when, Mothers were the ones that had to to straddle all realms, you know, help the kids at home, you know, counsel them, and and at, like they were the ones then that suffered professionally. I mean, I always think there's some evolutionary bias to things like this. That like deep, deep, deep down, like people know that, and this. I don't mean this to come off as genderish or whatever else, but my only explanation is that because mothers are physically the people who. Without us, there would be no species. There would be no people at all. Like we, not that men are so disposable, but I don't know. I just feel like there must be some evolutionary pressure that we all don't articulate, which leads to this. I think you're right. I think women are trained biologically to to tolerate suffering, you know, from like the monthly period that starts in their adolescence and like, just like, like enduring that discomfort once a month and that inconvenience once a month, every month of their life, that it just bleeds <laughs> into other areas of their life that like they have to then they, they are, you know, equipped to endure suffering. So that struck me during pregnancy too, is like all of this stuff that we have to suffer. And like, sometimes there isn't even justification for it. Like these, you know, these studies that have been just kind of to like done uh, so casually and, and not carefully. And they just decide, okay, like they can't have coffee, they can't drink. And just like this blanket decision 
that isn't even necessarily true or the whole truth or like the most accurate truth. It's just easy to tell women, okay, you can't do this rather than like really hunt down what exactly they should be, you know, withholding and and denying themselves because we're just used to telling women that they should deny themselves pleasure. Well, meanwhile, you decide to be a mom. (laughs) (laughs) So all of this aside, you go forward and then you have a very entertaining entertaining, although I'm sorry for like your experience when you were pregnant. And I just wanted to read one more thing. You said, I can't write. Characters need my help getting out of trouble, but the light of the computer is gross. Thinking is gross. This is what makes pregnancy nausea different from other sickness I've experienced. Even abstractions are repulsive. So (laughs) true. I love that. It's incredible. It's incredible just how disgusting life becomes when you have morning sickness. <laughs> yes. It's like impossible to do anything. And yeah, I remember at one point literally like stopping on the street and just like grabbing hold of a building, just being like, I don't think I can walk another step right now. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this next period of my life if like it's week eight or something and I'm already this nauseous. Yes. And yes, you have the whole journey ahead of you and you don't, you have no idea how long it's going to last, like when it's going to get better. It's so daunting. It is so daunting. Although I was so grateful that I was actually pregnant. So anyway. Yes, yes, yes. But still, then I went right into the complaining. So as- Yeah, I mean, the the reward is ultimately worthwhile, but it is such a hefty cost. And like, we just don't, we don't talk about the cost. Right. Like, why can't it be both things that like, yes, our children are so worthwhile and we love them, but we pay this price. Like it's both things exist simultaneously. P.S. You pay the price continually. I mean, I have- two 14 year olds and an eight year old and a six year old. And you know, it's not, it doesn't end. Like there's no. always stuff and right. it doesn't mean I don't love, I love my kids more than life itself. And I will do anything for them. Of course, I don't even need to say that, but you know, it's hard. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's this complexity, this like, and of contradictions. It's like, get out of the house. I miss you. Come back. Yes. It's like all this thing that you're wrestling. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because 
even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. <laughs> then in the book, you also like admit to some of these secret things. Like you say, people always say, I don't care about the sex. I just want the baby to be healthy. And that is true for me too. Healthy. Yeah, yeah, of course. And for it to be a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I wanted I wanted to to raise a, a strong feminist and I'm still doing that, you know? <laughs> just <laughs> I wanted to I guess I just like I wanted to un, like redo my mistakes, you know, like make the girl that I could have been but wasn't because I was too insecure or self-conscious or, you know, and then yeah, you just you, you, but you can't decide who your kid is going to no. be. Like all these identities just reveal themselves to you over and over again through their life and that's part of the delight is seeing who they come who they become apart from you. Yes. I but think, yeah, I wanted a girl. <laughs> I think that's one of the most important things I've ever learned about being a parent that I feel like if someone had told me, I wouldn't have necessarily believed them until I had four very different kids of my own. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Every kid, you know, I, I just thought I had all this power and I could like with what I did as a parent that I was so responsible for who they became. But really you're, I mean, you're just not <laughs> like, yeah, you can only affect, I feel like, I don't know, you can damage them, but can you really like, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's so on the margins of who they are, what parents but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. This no, is- no, you're right. And that, and that's what I was learning too. I thought that I would have much more influence, but yeah, yeah like you're, you're just there to, to love them. Yeah. That's all, that's all you can do is love them and try to impart some values. But like, yeah, it's, it's like part of, yeah, part of the, the wonder is seeing what their passions are and their hobbies and, and how surprising they are because they can come completely outside from your home. They're just like of them. Yeah. My daughter the other day, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but she literally was like, I feel like sewing. She's eight. And she's like, could I just like cut up? Can, can we go to some store and find fabric? And I was like, no, where do you even find like, where do you even find fabric? So first I was like Googling like where to find fabric in New York City. But anyway, finally I was like, just take a scarf, take any of my scarves. I never even wear my scarves. Just like take anything from this particular door or whatever. And she's like, how about this blanket? And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't even know where that blanket came from. Go ahead. Anyway, next thing I know, she comes back downstairs an hour later and has made the most adorable skirt. A-line skirt fits her perfectly. Sewed the whole thing herself. And I was like, oh my wow. God, where is this coming from? This is, I was, I, it was like the, one of the coolest moments I've had as a parent. Yeah. It was so cool. It is so cool. And like, she was taking pieces of you and creating something for herself. It was like the perfect metaphor of motherhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, all to say, you never know what your kids are going to be up to and, you know, the skills they have, the and that I could never do that in a million years. Like I have yeah. no I just couldn't. But of course I couldn't because I'm not her. And I don't know. Anyway, this is such a and it, and it is your joy to witness her. And it is I mean, my that, joy to witness. And all I can yeah. do is give her the fabric. Let's just keep this right. metaphor going. <laughs> All I can provide is the fabric and the thread and let her turn it into a beautiful creation. There we go. 
<laughs> anyway, so tell me about writing this as you went through it. Cause it felt to me like you literally would like get to the end of the day and then just like write about it. Is that what happened? Yes. That's, that's what I did because it was, it was important. It seemed to me talked to other mothers, like the pain and the, the discomfort got filed down and, you know, was replaced by just like the joy and it just, just kind of got buffed. And I wanted to preserve all of the stuff that was like the most accurate in case there were, you know, pregnant women who were reading it as they were pregnant and just wanted it to be, you know, charged with like the life as it was. So yeah, every stage I wrote as in the, in the present tense, as I was living it. And of course, you know, went back and revised it a little bit and cleaned it up, but yeah, everything was, was alive in the moment, which was an interesting process because then like when I had the whole thing, I could see how my voice was changed by the experience, you know? So it was, it was like the evolving narrator from the beginning to the end. So it was like the, the, the writing process, like the, the narrator was alive and changing. It was, so it was like literally a living document from beginning to end. And, and so like that, that seems to be like a very satisfying experience for me as the writer. And then I hope for the reader too, to, to kind of see how motherhood changes a person. And how did, tell me about the publishing journey of this book relative to your other books, like Happiest Girl in the World, which I know we already spoke about. Tell me about, like, how did this one come about? So this was a little different, and, and it was part of the reason then that I, I became so determined to get it published. I think with nonfiction, and you've probably found this too, like, there's this kind of, it's almost harder to get published than novels. So I was initially a nonfiction writer. That's what, like, what my education was in. But I had a hard time getting published, you know, 12 years ago when I was writing nonfiction because I kept hearing the same thing. You need an extraordinary experience or a, a strong platform, which means you need to be, you know, famous or, you know, have this like harrowing thing that's going to get a hook. So I started writing novel. Like I had tried to get my nonfiction published for a long time. And then I was like, this is not working. Let me just write a novel. <laughs> and so I turned to that for a while as if writing a novel is so easy and getting <laughs> that was its own challenge. So then 10 years later, I have a few, you know, a few novels, but it wasn't that easy. But anyway, I went back to, to this because this was like the first nonfiction project that caught like that demanded my interest again. And I, but I kind of heard the same thing again, which was like, your experience was a little too ordinary. Like there nothing, you know, I had postpartum depression, but it wasn't like, you know, drive off a bridge postpartum depression. Like there was, it's a spectrum, but I thought, you know, it's, it's essential that we publish these ordinary experiences because, you know, there's thousands, you know, everyone is experiencing this and we aren't talking about it. So I ended up reaching out to a couple small publishers and Woodhall Press was so thrilled with the, with the project and has been so excited. And so we, I, I, I just have been going through, through them and Amy Schumer endorsed it. Cause she's like been so supportive. I saw that. Yeah. She's, she's optioned Mercy House, which is my, my debut novel. And, you know, she had been an advocate for difficult pregnancies and, and, and women's issues. And there's, you know, a lot of my book talks about like maternal health and the same kind of cultural issues that, that she's interested in. So I, I figured I'd reach out and she's been so super supportive of my work and she came back very quickly with an, an endorsement. So, so yeah, that's been extremely validating and I'm really excited to, to get this out there. That's really awesome. And so what's next? I have a novel slated for next fall and that is the, my edits are due November 1st. So I'm like in the heat of it. I think oh, I'll Lord. make it now. There was a moment where I was like, oh man, this is not going to happen, but yeah, I'm going to get there. It's, so that one's about a woman Air Force service pilot and her daughter. It's a dual timeline. So we see the woman Air Force service pilot during World War II on the first woman to fly domestic planes. And then 60 years later, we see her daughter finding out about this, the secret that her mother had kept. And the, the, 
the WASPs had been dismissed after World War II, even though that they thought that they were going to get military benefits and they didn't get any of that. They were just sent back to their houses. Some offered jobs as stewardesses, not pilots. So this character was kind of bitter about like the, the future that had been stolen from her. And so the book kind of looks at how bitterness can be bequeathed to your children and how let, that affects like the generation, the next generation. Inherited bitterness. Yeah. <laughs> Add it and, to, add it to and the like list. The, <laughs> yes. And like the, the parallel of what women are still fighting for, you know, like mm-hmm. all, all the, all the links that we've gained, but what, what we still are, you know, trying to accomplish. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? I feel, I, I feel like I only give like one piece of advice and I keep giving it, but my biggest piece of advice is to gather yourself a group of writers and to have these people in your life as a community. I am a person who really benefits from reader feedback. I have a hard time under, like after a project is through, I, I see that it's not you know as strong as it could be, but I have a hard time pinpointing how to bolster it. So I, I really rely on other people helping me. It becomes like a big collaboration. Also, just because it's a hard journey, you know, and like, and all experiences are different. So it's nice to kind of compare notes, you know, like, you know, my agent is doing this. Is that like, is that like a normal, you know, correspondence or, um, cause I had a, a couple, you know, I've had three agents now. So like now I, I have, I can compare like what to be expected, but if you're on your first, you're not sure like what the relationship is supposed to be like. So it's nice to have this community so you can have those kind of discussions, you know, like what's your, what's your publicist like? Like what's, you know, what's your editor like? Uh, What should we be expecting? And just have like that transparency in that community. So there's a bunch of different ways to, to, you know, gather those people. I have a, you know, from my MFA, like that's where that came from, but there's so many resources, online communities and, you know, ways to meet people. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you for this. Thank you for like taking me back through, you know, I I feel like I kind of blacked out all of my pregnancies. <laughs> like I can't, like I, they're like hidden in some recesses of my brain, but reading this was like, all of it came flooding back. So <laughs> for better or worse. You? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like there's a reason your body might erase those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for discussing this book and thanks for sharing your experience to help other people. It's awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.